0: This is CC Kim and
1: this is Jim Batcho
0: for movies about music
1: and what movie did we watch this time we watched
0: Mr. Holland's opus today
1: and this was your recommendation
0: yes because I had seen it when it had come out which was I think it was 1995
1: I think it's a 1995 film yeah
0: mm-hmm. I wanted to I, I was deeply touched by this movie when I was 12 years old. And I wanted to revisit it as a 38-year-old adult.
1: And I've never seen this movie, which surprises myself, actually. I don't know why I didn't see this movie. So we're talking about 1995. Yes. And I do remember it being a big deal. Mm. And it being the movie that everybody has to see. Mm. And I don't know why I didn't see it. I think in '95 I was like, you know, sort of this raging 20-something probably wasn't my taste at the time. So I somehow missed it. And then and then what happens with these movies a lot of the time is they take on their own life and you hear so much about them that you're like, nah, I, I'm going to pass on
0: that. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel like it's important to address that when you're, I think in your mid-20s, you miss out on a lot of mainstream movies because you think you're just like too cool for the world. That's true. That's I, how I felt when I was in my mid-20s. Yeah. I was exclusively watching um, godard movies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is why I like you.
0: <laughs> when I, because I thought I was just so cool. Yeah. I and think the same. Yeah. <laughs> same, same <laughs> There's movie. something about that age. Yeah, that's right?
1: true. When you're in your 20s you sort of want to say, you know, screw culture and I'm going to find my own way yeah. and whatever's popular you're not going to Yeah. be involved with. Yeah,
0: I think I was uh you know, I was pretending to enjoy like Charkovsky or whatever. And uh, until I actually enjoyed them. But I don't watch it anymore. Like, I don't watch these art films. I don't watch Nouvelle Vague anymore.
1: Yeah, I I do.
0: I know you do. <laughs> but I think there's something about that age where you're kind of exploring, you know, being cool or whatever. Right,
1: right. But, and yet, you, um, this was your recommendation. So I'm curious why you recommended mm-hmm. this film for us.
0: So... I wanted to revisit this movie because it's a movie about music for sure. Definitely. And it's um and specifically it's about it's a movie about a musician who didn't necessarily quote unquote make it as a musician, right? Mm. Um it's about a teacher, a high school music teacher who takes on this gig as a teacher temporarily just to see how it goes. Right. And then ends up doing it for the rest of his life, right? 30 years, I think. I'm fascinated more and more of of stories about people who are brilliant and didn't make it. You were talking about this um, in another context. You were like, imagine all those people, the weirdos who we never heard of.
1: Right. Yeah, I remember we were having a conversation um, just about the... Because so many of these movies and these stories that you hear about people is you know, the guy who just threw, or the woman through Will, you know, kind of breaks the odds and Mm -hmm. makes it. And what's fascinating to me is the other 999 who didn't, Mm. what's their story? Uh, And that's, that's always kind of interesting to me.
0: I'm even at this point in my life, I think, because I'm, you know, I never made it, quote unquote. I'm more interested in these stories than I was before when I was younger. Mm. But even as a 12-year-old because I watched this movie when I was 12, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like he his life was a failure. I didn't, you know, I wasn't watching this thinking, "Oh, wow, he just ended up teaching." You know, Mm -hmm. that's not what I was feeling. I felt like, wow, he had an awesome time teaching. Maybe I want to be a teacher. That's
1: really Mm -hmm. what I thought. Yeah, good. Well, (laughs) that's one of the themes of the film that I think is really important: is that he comes into this job with this Mm -hmm. attitude. Mm -hmm. He's he wants to be a you know he wants to be known for his art and for his composing. And you know, we learn through exposition that he's been learning, or sorry, that he's been working doing gigs and he doesn't want to have to do another hotel gig again you know and things like this Mm -hmm. but yeah so he takes on this teaching gig Mm -hmm. and he doesn't want to do it so that's kind of the beginning of Mm -hmm. his character Mm -hmm. yeah over the course of the film he realizes that the thing that he is doing is the thing that he's grown to love which is a really nice way of putting it you know because as artists we especially like we've been talking about our 20s right Mm -hmm. and when you're in your 20s you have all these ambitions for what you want to do and then you kind of settle into something that you enjoy and, and something where you're having an impact. And this is definitely a story about that.
0: Right. What were your your first impressions of this movie? Because I can go into my first impressions of this movie and then um, how I revisited it, how I felt when I saw this as an adult. So I'm curious to find out what it felt like to see this as a uh, 50-year-old adult, <laughs> right. in your case.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... Well, it's always, you know, I've got a lot of black holes in my uh, cultural knowledge of films. There's a lot of films that I just set aside and never saw. So this is one of them. And watching it, you know you feel very you very much feel the 1995 mm. thing going on with the film. I think there was a lot of these kind of movies where you know it's kind of the epic it's it's the epic of right. one person and you see them age over time and you mm-hmm. see all of the makeup. It's hard not to think of films like Forrest Gump.
0: I, I definitely thought of Forrest Gump
1: yeah and and sort of the journey of this of this one man, you know, which is so common. Um, so I think it was it's kind of a, a common thing that was happening. With films during this period of time, of course, a lot of these films were very successful. Mm. And so, you know, then the studio wants, you know, they're willing to take on a film like this. They've kind of faded, I think, as Mm -hmm. the, um, you know, especially recently, you don't really see that many films about the white man from, you know, age 30 to age 60 in his (laughs) life, and we follow the whole trajectory. (laughs) That's not that's not a thing we're seeing in the studios right now. That is so true.
0: <laughs> that it is almost always a white man. I yeah. don't
1: know. Why. I mean you could you know Dances with Wolves there's so many of these films during the 90s that you can think of this kind of thing.
0: I mean it's never like a white woman. You know, no, it never is. No, yeah, it's, it's never it, a black man. It's yeah. never a Latino man. It's it's always a white man. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and so at at the end when I'm watching, and I knew this was you know this is com- I knew that his his symphony was going to be played right. for him. I could just feel it mm-hmm. coming. You know, you can you can feel it coming just from the title of the film also. But you know, there's I, I mean, I got quite emotional watching that. Oh, this this, totally. this is what films do, and yeah. I you know I like I wish I could just cry in movies. Instead, I get this stupid little headache. <laughs> You know when I, I do too. Yeah. when I'm when I'm watching these movies and it's you know it's a beautiful headache it's you're feeling the the resolution of his of his life in right. a sense and his acknowledgement um, and of course it all goes perfectly and everybody hits every note and things right. like that but it is a very yeah it is a very white man's journey that you that you don't see anymore um, so that's one part of it just probably out of time in that sense you, we know we're going to get this resolution to it i mean there's so many levels that we can talk about with right. this film you know that the you know i'm a teacher um mm-hmm. you know the relationships with students which we can right, dig into right. and then you know the problems of education which we can dig yes. into and i'd like to hit these but um i'm really curious to see how 12 year old cc right compares with mm-hmm. today's cc and watching it again this is the second time you've seen right, it right
0: i think maybe i saw it once more like when i was 13 or something okay um the reason i know that this came out in 95 and not 96 is because 95 was my last year of innocence (laughs) and you know just sort of not being a a teenage nightmare brat because by 96 i was 13 and i was so cynical that I never would have watched this movie and not laughed. Now I don't take music as seriously as I did back then. When I was twelve, I was
1: I was playing the flute. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was playing. Wait, I yeah. didn't know this. I'm learning this right now. Do, can you still play the flute?
0: I mean, I, I'm sure I know how to like make a sound, and mm-hmm. I, I know how to play maybe like a couple of tunes, but it's not going to sound right. Right. But yeah, I was really serious about it, you know, because I was like. I loved the idea. I mean, I loved music, and it was a very pure love for music itself. Mm -hmm. I always wanted to sing. And back then it was sort of I didn't know what I would sing and I didn't know like how I would go about it because it was kind of like frowned upon to want to be a pop star. Like that's never a thing that parents like. That's never something that's respected. Even with your peers, if you say like, oh, I want to be a pop singer, like they look at you like, why do you think that you could do this? Like, it's just sort of something that you that I was very ashamed of. Um, So when I saw that there was a way to be a musician, to actually be a singer or whatever, without the delusions of grandeur, Mm -hmm. I I thought, maybe I want to be a music teacher. Because that way I would spend, I would be allowed to spend all day talking about it and playing it and Mm -hmm. doing all this stuff that I wanted to do. And so there's some, there's an innocence to that. It's like, you know, music is not a vehicle to become famous or rich, it's right. just the act of it, you know, loving it, appreciating it, and playing it. Something you feel. being immersed in it. Yeah, totally. That I wanted. Yeah. And that feeling came back to me when I was watching this movie. I was mm. like, oh, I, maybe I don't have to be a prodigy. I could just be a music teacher. And mm. the reason I thought so is because I thought that he was doing very important work. You know, to me, it was very obvious that he was making, A, and making a huge difference in the lives of, right. you know, young people and he was he got to perform you know like you know if you conduct a school you know concert like you have your orchestra people don't get to do that in any context right but you get to do that if you're a teacher you, the school gives you the resources and the kids have to follow you mm-hmm. <laughs> so you get to sort of like act out these fantasies in a weird way
1: but it can also be incredibly painful um because I, sure what it the can. film does so well is the early Uh, lack of interest, Mm -hmm. and and sort of they're very distracted. They're falling asleep in class. Right. Um, And this is something you always have to face as a teacher. Those early sessions with the kids, Mm -hmm. you know, listening to just how horrible it sounded. I don't think I could ever be... A music teacher, because I just couldn't deal with Mm, mm -hmm. the lack of perfection. But this is maybe a fantasy of the movie as well. That's what I was going to say.
0: Yeah, because as an adult, I'm looking at this and thinking, well, that was easy. Everything was so easy. Everything was very easy in the film. I thought this was well.
1: Yeah, everything went 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 perfectly um, and he, you know, he molded the program mm-hmm. into his own image. He had this beautiful classroom yeah. that you're never going to see today, you know, it had a stage and it had the orchestra there and everyone's good and, and all of a sudden, magically, everyone's willing right. and respectful. I mean, I think there's some reality to that, you know, he gains a reputation by sort of, you know, dropping his stringent mm-hmm. attitude and I have felt this in the classroom too, that when I break away from... Being too strident in the classroom and just let it happen more organically, mm-hmm. that the kids respond to it more and they can feel, you know, one of his turning points is when his boss, the uh, the dean, comes to him and says, you've got the knowledge, you just don't have the compass. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a turn for him, I think. But I thought that was kind of the end of act one. Yes, right definitely. Um, so he had to turn. And then all of a sudden, things started to magically fall into place. So yeah, I, I caught on to that yeah. as well.
0: So I think um, for those of you who haven't seen the movie, I should br- paint a broad picture of what is going on in the movie, the, the basic plot, I think. It, it spans throughout three decades, right? From It starts around 1965, I believe. Yeah, was it yeah. 60, 65, 65, 66. 66? And then it ends in 1995 so 30 years another forest gump right type right. span right and this man is a music teacher in portland oregon that there are historical events weaved into the story inevitably like the vietnam war uh, the death of john lennon and etc and there are also sort of these characteristics of the the kids the students high school students how they react to the teaching there's also a pop music history element to the whole movie. Yeah, and
1: he shifts from Bach to okay. rock and roll. Right. He you know, he he's like "Louie Louie," you know, mm-hmm. the song mm-hmm. um he you know, he's like this is just three chords. Why do you?" And he does this through one of his students who's having difficulty learning mm-hmm. her instrument and she's about ready to give up. So he plays "Louie Louie" to her and he asks her why does why is this a good song and something like it because it feels good or something like that
0: because it's fun
1: because it's fun that's it yeah
0: and rock and roll in 1966 we learn was considered the devil's music it was and it was was it banned in schools
1: no i don't i well i don't know um yeah, you wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah i don't know but parents were afraid of it right they were was afraid... it
0: like gangster rap in the 90s
1: yeah i think so i mean you know and I guess this happens with every generation, but it was, there was something radically different with electronic music that, mm-hmm. that started happening in the 60s. So it did seem kind of dangerous to these more conservative parents who thought music was classical music and then, right. um, you know, folk music, jazz music. So here comes this rock and roll. And, and I think that that's true, that it, it was um, resisted by more traditional, you know, mm-hmm. fi- 40s and 50s post-war parents.
0: Mm, I see. So I want to go to, there are different things that I really want to talk about. One of them that I think is a is a very, very important, it's a pivotal moment in the movie, is that um, he has a son, right? Right. His wife gets pregnant, and basically that's why he stays in this teaching job. Right. For longer than he expected, because he, I think he was about to quit. He was going to quit after a year or something. Four years, yeah, I yeah, think. Yeah, for four years, yeah. But he ends up staying at this job because his wife gets pregnant. They moved to the suburbs. It was a huge move that they made.
1: They bought a house.
0: Yeah, they bought a house. And they really settle into this, like, Americana uh, nuclear family existence with him at his job. Mm -hmm. And she's, you know... The housewife. The housewife. So they settle into this existence. And he even starts to enjoy his job. Yeah. Like, he starts to, like, really... He's accepted this and he's...
1: Well, but enjoy. the two become into conflict,
0: right? So that conflict seems to have been resolved, but then we find out that the son is deaf,
1: right? And this sort of creates the new conflict. This is what I meant by the conflict. So what what starts to develop is the husband and wife were a unit, right? Mm-hmm. And the problem was the job. Then he starts to enjoy the job, and then the family unit comes to intercept.
0: What I don't understand and what I, I've always wanted to ask this question to anybody who's, I guess, not a man. I I don't know if it's a man thing. I can't thing. help you there. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if it's a man thing or because for me, it's just, I just don't get it. I never understood why he took it so personally that his son was deaf. I, I felt like he was very mean about it yeah. to his son, like almost as if it was his fault. Like he was snapping at his son for like... He was resentful yeah, of, it was of him coming resentful.
1: in of it, because this the son comes to interject into the situation. So I think this hits at one of the things that's a key thing in any musician's mm-hmm. life or any artist's mm-hmm. life is the idea of pursuing the work mm-hmm. and pursuing the art mm-hmm. or pursuing the family because they come into conflict. And this is classically with men. Beauvoir writes about this Mm -hmm. in the Second Sex, right? The idea of a man's transcendence and that sort of thing. Mm, So there's something that survives beyond the man and his his sense of legacy, Mm. you know, in this very kind of traditional man-woman kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. And so the son can take over the heritage of the father, right? And so then it's like, oh, okay, I can let go of this great work of art that I'm doing and focus on my job and do my job well. Because my son is going to take over my heritage, and continue my heritage.
0: Is that really a thing? It's very in much the a thing. It's very,
1: it really is a thing. I think okay. it is, yeah. Maybe less so now. I mean, I don't know. But, you know, that that's a very 1990s, I think, idea. Hmm. And so when he finds out that his son is deaf... You know, psychologically, he doesn't know why that bothers him. Mm, but I the reason that. why it bothers him is because his son cannot carry his heritage right. on. And I think that this is an unconscious thing that men deal with.
0: I mean, I, I just couldn't understand why he couldn't just separate the two. You know, his son, his his music, and the fact that music was his life, and his son being deaf. I, for me, I Because
1: would... Because now there's three things he has to deal with. Okay. He has to deal with the problems of his son. And, and the problems of the family. right? He has his job, and then he has his art. So before, I think he was willing to give up the art for the son and the family, mm-hmm. um, and that's why he became a good teacher. Mm-hmm. But now the son becomes the object of his failure, in a sense. It becomes the psychological right. object of his failure. So I think that's why it affects him, you know, on this psychological level that he can't deal with. And right. that's that's the, that's really the arc of the family in that situation, the family and the artist... But you know why why this happens, I think it's the idea that you know of what are you going to continue on? what What is going to continue on after your death? And it's interesting to ask the question or to just think about the idea as as to is this a male thing more than than it is for women? Yeah. Right. But then you can't essentialize every woman is going to be different. Every man is going to be different. But are there, you know, kind of tendencies, you know, that are programmed into us, which is Beauvoir's idea that these are kind of conditional elements that get programmed into us. And it's very much programmed into this family. Mm -hmm. She's the traditional stay at home mother. Mm -hmm. Um, She doesn't have any capacity for transcendence. And I often think about this Mm -hmm. when I'm watching movies. Mm -hmm. How are they going to present the woman in this film? Right. Because it's his film. So how is the wife going to be? Mm. And it fell into the traditional situation of the the stay-at-home wife while the man goes and figures out his shit. And then she has to be the one to hold down the family and be the supporter of the values of the family. Mm. And she has to push this on him uh, so that he deals with this. And so these two streams kind of come together. Actually, these three streams, I guess, if you think family, job, art... For him, it all gets resolved in the end.
0: Yes, definitely. Right. Yeah. Relatively easily. Yeah, it's a magical to, 90s movie. Yeah, it's it's one of those very optimistic 90s movies where everybody has a house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and a job and a car <laughs> and, and a happy family, right? Right. And nobody um loses their mortgage.
1: <laughs> right. This was
0: before all of that happened. Right. Right. And so this was sort of a magical time. And so... You know, I said it was a cute movie after it. After we watched it, I was like, "Well, that was a very cute movie." For me, I was I got a little teary-eyed. Yeah, because of a certain nostalgia that I felt
1: towards. Yes. This time. Right. I thought maybe we should talk about some of the individual characters. We talked about the family. We've mm-hmm. talked about the tension with the family and the art and the job. Uh, maybe we could get into some of these relationships with the students Mm -hmm. and him because there were a few key students. There were a few interesting cameos. Mm-hmm. So there was, is it Terrence Blanchard? Is that No, name? babe. Oh, he's a that's right. <laughs> <He's>
0: a, <laughs> Terrence Howard.
1: Terrence Howard. And then who we thought was Forrest Whitaker, but we're not sure if maybe it was, maybe it was a different name for the same actor or maybe it was his brother. We never figured that out.
0: Right. Somebody who looked a lot like Forrest Whitaker and whose name, whose last name turned out to be Whitaker.
1: Yeah, but with a different first name. Right, But if it was, him he looked younger than he did in fast times at ridgemont high which was before that yeah that
0: so maybe he's a brother
1: yeah i don't know
0: or a relation yeah right because he looked younger than terrence howard and that can't be right
1: yeah terrence howard strangely looked 25 years old that's true really good looking guy every time i see him in a film he's so good looking
0: yeah but he's always the good looking bad guy
1: right you it know. was it was I thought it was I don't know what you thought of the fact that Terrence Howard had no rhythm mm-hmm. yeah. at all. This
0: okay, so this struck me as very odd as an adult. When I was a kid, I didn't think anything of it. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, I'm a drummer. Nobody has rhythm that bad. It's yeah, it's, it's that's, kind of yeah. impossible to have rhythm that bad. And to see this mm-hmm. young, bright looking black student <laughs> mm-hmm. to, have, to be taught by right. this old white dude how to dance and how to move his feet and right, how, to, right. how to find the downbeat i thought kept... that was a little weird too yeah, yeah it, i don't know i don't know what to make of that because
0: um, it was so exaggerated too it's not not just because he's a young black man but he <laughs> was it was just, so exaggerated it was so exaggerated even for just you know just for any person right, right. and there's this really just bright-eyed terrence howard <laughs> who's just so positive, willing to work hard, willing to listen to his teachers, you know. Uh, This is the 1960s, so kids are kind of different, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) they, They have less distractions, they're willing to work hard, you know. And joins the marching band, and then when his father sees him playing the drums in the marching band, he's so proud, everybody's so proud of him. And then eventually, a few years later, it turns out that he dies in the war. Right. right? And so
1: there's a tie-in with the Vietnam War, which is another kind of Forrest Gump kind of Uh thing where there's a lot of newsreel footage and Mm -hmm. a lot of the historical elements through television media brought back in. Mm And yeah, we learn just through the face of the father who we'd seen before, so happy, then so mournful that we that he died. And, you know, that's one of those plot elements where, I mean, it was a two hour and 20 minute film, mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm. That could have been taken out, actually. That could mm-hmm. have wound up on the editing room floor. Right, right. It was popular at this time to sort of draw in these aspects of... I don't know why in the 90s there was Oliver Stone doing a lot of films, Yes, uh, Born on the Fourth of July and Platoon and things like this. There was a couple of Vietnam War movies Mm -hmm. that were competing for Best Picture in the same year. Um, That might have been in the late 80s. I can't remember. But around this time, the Vietnam War seemed to be a big deal. And so it sort of got wrapped into the screenplay somehow. But yeah, that was interesting.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. The most recent war wars are become important, I think, like oh, a generation later yeah. because for us it was the Gulf War. That's right. So the Gulf and, War was happening around the same yeah. time and we we're making some parallels then. Right, right.
1: Why don't we um, talk about some of the other characters? So there's the there's the girl we kind of mentioned her before, Miss Lang, who can't play the clarinet. Mm-hmm. And so he is, again, initially frustrated with her, but then he takes her on. Mm -hmm. And we talked about her a little bit. But then, again, one of these, sort of like the Terrence Howard uh, character, another student comes in who is a singer. So the the theater department and the music department department decide to get together on a uh, final Gershwin review.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not a show in particular, it's not a show with music written by Gershwin. It's like a bunch of famous songs from famous Gershwin tunes together in one show. And so you you have the songs that were reoccurring were um, like the one in *Music Man*: "I got rhythm, I got music." And then there's "Someone to Watch Over Me," um, and then there's "The Way You wear in Your Head." Mm-hmm, the way. Mm-hmm. So those three tunes were um, they were being played and. Rehearsed continuously.
1: And then out of the blue comes this very talented Mm -hmm. student who can sing. Mm -hmm. She just appears on stage. Mm -hmm. And then she takes the lead. Mm -hmm. He takes her under his wing, and she's very pretty. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, he's coaching her. And there's the scene when he says to her, someone to watch over me. He says to her, when you sing the words, I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's basically conveying... The depth of love. Yeah. Longing. Long that's what I was gonna say. So the depth of love in this longing or absent sense. And she's supposed to feel that. Mm -hmm. Now this is a girl who's probably yeah, yeah, this is a girl who's probably seventeen years old. Right. Eighteen years old. Max. Seventeen. Well, seventeen because yeah, because I think she was a junior, actually. When they were talking in the diner, I think she had one. Right, right. Anyway, um that scene, when you're watching that Mm -hmm. scene, you're like, uh oh. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Because she responds to him. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting dynamic, especially if you're teaching arts and mm-hmm. you're teaching expressive things or you're teaching any kind of poetic or literature or something like that or music in this mm-hmm. case, where it becomes a very emotional thing. And, and um, you know, then, then it creates this bond between the student and the teacher that is, you know, very important. Mm hmm for nurturing and you know taking on somebody but then can lead to dangerous places mm-hmm. and it does i mean you know he's he's the older wiser you know mm-hmm. teacher she's impressionable mm-hmm. she's a fantastic singer and then it seems like she's falling for him
0: yeah well i let me ask you this sure. i have been on i have been that young student singer like literally I've Mm -hmm. been, totally been on the other side. And you've been on the, you know, I'm sure you've been the teacher. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Weird. But, (laughs) but I... I want to know why that situation, why that kind of thing is dangerous for you guys. I know exactly what the younger person
1: is thinking. Because we know the power and influence we have over the person. I see. So it's basically her, the same thing. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. So this was a difference between, because I taught in the States before I came to Korea. Mm-hmm. And in the States, when you're teaching college students, there you have to be very hands-off and very objective. Mm-hmm. And then I came to Korea and, you know, it was like, well, you have to pay more attention to the individual students. You know, it's a learning experience, you know, and, and you don't want to favor somebody against, you know, over mm-hmm. somebody else. But in a lot of ways, it seems like that doesn't matter. But then, yeah, you're in a position of power. You're you're in a position of of influence and you know that. And, you know, that can be taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. So... You have to be aware of that when you're teaching, because if you're doing arts, there's a passion to the arts, right? right? right, right. Uh, And how much do you try to draw that out of the student Mm -hmm. while maintaining your distance that you need to have? So that never becomes an exact thing. You know, we see situations where that power is abused, Mm -hmm. and we see situations, many situations probably where there isn't the encouragement of the student and there isn't the intimacy with the student Mm. because of the concern about that. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, this is the difficult Mm. situation of a teacher to be in. So when he gets to the point where he has to make a choice, right? And she invites him, she decides to quit school, I thought, she's,
0: I thought she was graduating. I thought think and then, she was. Okay, okay. Because he was it.
1: like, wait, yeah. I'm, I didn't say go right now. Oh, got it, got it. So she decides to just bail because if she doesn't go now, she's going to become a waitress. So she says, come with me and write music and be with me. And it's like, oh my God, this is, you know, first of all, this is like the temptation of Jesus on the cross <laughs> to go back down to earth, you know, and, mm-hmm. and take, you know, mm-hmm. the carnal, lustful mm-hmm. life, right? Right. And so he could abandon his family, who he's having a hard time with, mm-hmm. and run off with this young girl. And he goes and he meets her, and he, he shows up, and we don't know. I mean, we know what he's going to do. He's going to do the right thing. But there's a moment between them that I don't think you could do today. I think the producers would say, no, you got to change that scene, where he kisses her Mm -hmm. It's not on the cheek. It's not on the mouth. It's kind of in between. Yeah. And I don't think that would fly today.
0: Mm, I don't know. I spent most of my adult life in France and
1: people do that all the time. (laughs) yeah but that's france this yeah is, this is the
0: so i don't know it, in how that would go about in america like is is that i think it's inappropriate it's inappropriate yeah okay
1: but then there's also this thing of they have a close relationship and so you he can't just say bye
0: but that was a private moment though. yeah true yeah so he could basically do whatever he wants
1: but with mobile phones and cameras right and right, everything okay. if he's he would never do that if he's caught
0: well, yeah. There's an there would be another story if it if that totally. move, yeah
1: then it becomes you know a Title Nine or something mm-hmm. like that kind of situation. You know, one one thing I was thinking like, you know, the movie could. I don't think that that movie would have ever gone in the direction of him going. Mm-hmm. So he does the right thing. But this again kind of goes to what we were saying about this is his, he's the hero of the film. Mm, yeah, and the hero of the film couldn't possibly make a mistake like that. Mm-hmm. I think if this was a Netflix TV series, right. first of all, we would have probably had two episodes before this film mm-hmm. that you know shows his background and his family background and shows him as a musician and stuff like that. But he actually goes with her. Mm-hmm. So in 2021, I think it's possible that he actually makes the decision to go with her.
0: Absolutely, because the subject matter is so lame that you would have to make it scandalous in Netflix 2021. Right. Yeah, you don't, who wants to see a show about a high school music teacher doing the right thing. Nobody, like right. literally nobody, I guarantee you, nobody would watch it. If it had been pitched in 2021, people would be laughing at whoever pitched this. Right. Um, so no, it would have to go towards a really dark direction of him not only going with her, but you know, God knows what else should be added.
1: <laughs> yeah, if it was a Netflix show, mm-hmm. post Breaking Bad, post Game of Thrones, the anti-hero
0: yeah ozark you know yeah those middle-aged man doing illegal things kind of or um, unseemly things yeah
1: and then somehow redeeming themselves or somehow winning
0: (laughs) yeah yeah
1: you know that sometimes there's no redemption yeah but yeah i just thought that that was a very 1995 it was totally
0: yeah totally i don't know what
1: did you think about the connection between those two characters
0: um, I, yeah, I it probably, it went the exactly the way it would have gone if it were to happen in real life in 1980, because this setting was in 1980. This happened in 1980. But like, you know, also like I've had weird dynamics with my teachers and that's exactly how it went. Like, you know, I never pursued them. I never invited them to run away with me, but nothing came about, obviously. I mean, not obviously. Some people actually do have affairs with their teachers, but I never really did. Except for once when I was an adult. (laughs) But, you know, when I was younger, it never came into fruition. Whereas I frequently had that kind of weird tension with music teachers, specifically.
1: Well, again, I think it's the arts.
0: Yeah. And, you know, he was kind of looking at her in a certain way when she was singing. Oh, absolutely. But,
1: But that's what I mean is, I think one of the other interesting things about the film is... You know, when I, when I teach students mm-hmm. and I see them thriving and succeeding, mm-hmm. I get incredibly emotional about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. And it almost moves me to tears.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah.
1: There is a, there's an intimacy with students and this, yes. you know, the way that he was looking at her while she was performing mm-hmm. must have been very conflicting for him mm-hmm. because also she represents the life that he left behind, the pure yes, artist. Yes,
0: absolutely. And she probably interpreted that in a certain way. Because the way he was looking at her was probably very complex. You Absolutely. know, the way we look at people, the youth, is very complex. It's not always just desire or love. It's, it's a very complex emotion, right? It's like, yeah, the life that he left behind, youth, right. potential possibilities. There's so many things that she represents, right? Also,
1: it could be a little bit of the daughter that he totally. that the son can't be. Right. You know? Yeah,
0: I, I totally thought that, too. Yeah. when I was watching that scene um cuz his son is deaf mm-hmm. and he's never had a gifted student thus far right. presented in the movie like that right mm-hmm, there were no mm-hmm. like gifted music students
1: except the clarinet player who succeeded but that was a different
0: not in music though i mean she became the governor but she wasn't like a gifted yeah, yeah, musician that, right. so that kind of moment was probably a very complex emotion that very he was complex, feeling I think, yeah. and for her oh my god when you are 17 When you are a 17-year-old girl...
1: It's not complicated. You
0: should not be allowed to do anything. You don't know what the hell... You know, you see a man and he's like vaguely... Like, he's nice to you. And he is telling you that you have potential and you can be... You can go to New York and... Fulfill your dreams. So she probably doesn't get any support for her music at home. Well,
1: the father wants her to yeah. maintain the store.
0: Yeah, exactly. So this person is the first person that she's ever met in her life who is encouraging her to do the one thing that she really loves.
1: It's not just that he's a person, though. It's a it's a daddy replacement. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. It's the approving father.
0: Yeah, it's the approving father that she always sort of wanted and never had. Right. And... Ooh, if I had that when I was 17, I would have been the same. I would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm.
1: Like I don't mean that it's less conflicting for her, but I think it's more his emotions are very complicated. Yeah. For her, I think you know, when you're 17 years old, oh my God, you're like yeah. an arrow.
0: Yeah. And you like any boy, any guy that gives you any attention. I'm sorry, <laughs> but like, you know, it's I was so susceptible to so many things back then, like, you know, mm-hmm. and I would actually I think I was like this until I was like a good 27. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just very obvious why she felt the way she felt mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. It was obvious back then, and it, it's still obvious to mm-hmm. me right now. But what I what I will tell you now as a 38-year-old woman is that she went to New York that night. Two days later, I guarantee you, she forgot all totally. about Mr. Holland. Absolutely. <laughs> I,
1: I almost want to say she forgot when she got on the bus. Because yeah. the, there was a sweet little look, yeah, and he kind of, you know... <laughs> did a nod Mm -hmm. and and her you could see her face kind Mm -hmm. of change and Mm -hmm. i i thought what she did actually was a beautiful moment of acting there getting on just getting on the bus
0: she was an incredible actress and Mm -hmm. an incredible singer this actress i don't know who she is. i don't know who she is either yeah never saw her again but her
1: Mm. her singing voice was
0: incredible
1: movies about music I sort of want to talk about something that I want us to, you know, usually kind of at least cover is we talked about the idea of the authenticity of the music and the way the music's presented. Um, Did you have any thoughts on that? Because there's a a variety of styles done and then also the way that they were done Mm -hmm. in the film. I'll just mention one thing. Um, Michael Kamen, I I saw Michael Kamen in the credits and he was the hot film score Mm. guy in the late 80s into the nineties. Like he did Lethal Weapon. He did like all of the major, you know, he did a lot of work with, you know, there was a period of time when David Sanborn and Eric Clapton and these guys were doing film scores. He also worked with Pink Floyd, but he's, um, he's a well-known film composer. And I thought early in the film, we see Richard his character playing the piano Mm -hmm. and, you know, he's playing the piano, but then you hear the strings Mm. There's this idea of diegetic music, which is the music in the film, mm. non diegetic music, which is the score, which is outside of the mm. characters. So there was a mixture going on. Mm-hmm. So when he's playing the piano, it's in the film, he's playing the piano, but then Michael Kamen adds these strings to it, mm-hmm. which makes what he's doing more grandiose than it is. Yeah. And then you see him get up and step away from the piano and the and Michael Kamen's score mm-hmm. is still playing. I just love that. You know, I love little mm-hmm. moments mm-hmm. like that. In this sense, the music is capturing the emotion mm-hmm. rather than materially necessarily mm-hmm. real in the film. But it's what he's feeling. It's, he's hearing it in his head. So I thought that was quite beautiful.
0: I thought that that is also something that was done in the 90s a lot mm. for this type of music uh, mm-hmm. movies. Yeah, I think so. For me, I felt like a lot of the music was very believable like the marching band sounded like a high school marching band yeah. you know the student orchestra in the en- at the end sounded somewhat like a student orchestra like a very good one but you yeah, know really it, good though. yeah but it was it was believable because i hate it when music movies do this to us where they we have to pretend that it's good or that it's you know somewhat not amazing for the sake of the plot like I hate it when directors make us make this our responsibility as the audience to pretend that this is somehow amazing when it's not Mm. Um, I can think of various examples for this but I won't get into it I know what you mean but the singing of you know the the singer girl Rowena Mm. her singing was very good Mm -hmm. but it's it made sense in the whole story it's yeah, like so. okay yeah she has to be that good for him to be that blown away and yeah. everybody yeah mm-hmm. and for her to have this conflict in right. her life
1: right What about things like the uh, popular music that they incorporated?
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting because to gloss over the sort of like the, the decades, they mentioned certain artists, right? So Gershwin was mentioned, obviously, and then he had that little anecdote about John Coltrane, right? About how he hated John Coltrane, and then he listened to it and listened to it until he couldn't stop playing it, and now he loves it. And so that was a huge moment in his life. And John Coltrane was never mentioned again, but there was a poster of Love Supreme. Yeah, Yeah, it suddenly
1: appeared in the classroom.
0: And then there was also that in the 60s, he wasn't allowed to incorporate rock and roll music in the curriculum that was mentioned because it was considered the devil's music. (laughs) And then the death of John Lennon was a huge moment, right? And so for me, it might have been a coincidence, but I feel like somebody asked the writer or the director, like, who are the three most important people in music, American music? Oh, interesting. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of what he came up with.
1: Well, so we had Bach, Mm -hmm. Coltrane, Mm -hmm. Mm Lennon, those three? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Maybe, you know, they they are supposed to be the most influential musicians, I guess, Mm -hmm. of...
1: It's a pretty good trio, isn't it? Yeah. There's also talk of Beethoven and that scene when he talks about Beethoven conducting the orchestra Mm -hmm. when he's deaf. It's actually a movie called Immortal Beloved, which you might want to do. Yeah, I've seen it too. And it it does that scene that he's talking about, but it's the ninth, not the seventh. Mm -hmm. I think you're probably right that the Mm scriptwriters love the music that they love and they throw it in there.
0: Or they just thought, oh, these are the most influential musicians of Yeah the past i don't know yeah and Mm -hmm. and that to me was a really mainstream choice (laughs) yeah
1: there's also the question in education of how much you want to appeal to the student's needs and the student's interests, because this is what turns him right he starts off i mean first of all he's a very boring teacher when he starts um, and he's talking about bach but then he rolls it over to um popular music at the time and that's what gets him into trouble as you were saying So there's this desire to appeal to the students, and that's kind of what I think gives him the ability to express the idea of joy in music. Mm -hmm.
0: There's one thing that I wanted to address, which is a lot of people say, you know, there's that saying, those who can't do teach Or whatever. Yeah,
1: we should probably talk about this.
0: And I never believed that Mm -hmm. because um, it it just doesn't make any sense to me.
1: But Um, he believed it, didn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's this is that is this sort of like perpetuated by the media or something? Because I know in reality that that's not true. Mm -hmm. It's just simply not true. If anything, a teaching position in the arts, it's really, really hard to come by. Like it's in music, if you want to be like a university level instructor of anything you're probably at the top of your game
1: it's true you have to have some accomplishments Mm -hmm.
0: and even high school to become a high school music teacher i'm telling you my friend who got a master's in music theory which is an incredibly hard thing to do it's an incredibly difficult thing to do they take like maybe five music theory students a year It was an incredibly difficult, like to become a choir conductor at a church even, that is an incredibly difficult thing to do. You have to have so much training, a really good ear, and you have to be an accomplished musician. You have to have really dedicated yourself your entire life to the craft. Can you think of any examples of like people who couldn't do So they ended up teaching because I can't.
1: Well, there's probably different kind of different levels of this. But at the best universities, I mean, they're going to be the best. And then in the mid-level, they're going to be Mm mid-level. I mean, that's kind of the way it goes. But teaching is its own craft. You know, there's the moment at the end when, and this is what almost made me cry, Mm -hmm. is when the clarinet student, Mm -hmm. who's now the governor or mayor, the governor, governor, says, we are your notes or Mm -hmm. something like that of your music. Yeah, and that was really a beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, it was a beautiful speech. Yeah, and that's really the trajectory of the film, I think, and the trajectory for him is that kind of recognition. Mm. Yes, that he did compose his opus. Right. Not just not in the way that he thought he was going to, and I think that was really the beautiful thing in the film. One last thing that I wanted to talk about is before the big grand scene at the end Mm -hmm. when they do his opus. He gets called into the principal's office, Mm -hmm. and he gets told by the principal Mm -hmm. that the arts are going to be completely cut. Art, drama, and music. Right. And so he's obviously upset about this. And then... He says, what's the line that Mr. Holland says back to him?
0: Well, it's important to reiterate the line of the principle, which was, if I have the choice between long division reading and writing and Mozart, I would choose long division and writing and writing. And so Mr. Holland says, you can cut the arts, and pretty soon these kids will have nothing to read and write about.
1: Right. They'll have nothing. That's... And mm-hmm. that, that line... That just rings to me, you know, obviously this movie is 1995, but that rings to me is so contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in my teaching, what I find is there's so much at the university level where, you know, there's so much driven towards basically capitalism, towards getting a job, towards job placement and that sort of thing. And I'm in the job of teaching storytelling, filmmaking and and things like that. I've always wondered, he just said the line perfectly, just like you said it. Like if they don't have any experience, what are they going to make? Mm-hmm. And this was done in 1995, and you see it just getting worse and worse Right today. Um, that was such a great line, and I think it's something that speaks to something that you and I both believe in, which is the value of creativity and the value of arts.
0: Well, it's become kind of cliche, hasn't it? Like you said, it's been getting progressively worse <laughs> since mm-hmm. the 90s, and now we're living in an age where these algorithms are teaching us what to read. Totally. <laughs> well, yeah. And they're what even reading do. for yeah. us.
1: They're like reading text for us.
0: <laughs> and so we, you know, people go to schools to develop these algorithms. Yeah. And it, it's just becoming, it's getting weird.
1: It is getting weird. You, yeah. you, in our first podcast, you had talked about ABBA and sort of the automation of ABBA. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's, things are getting creepy. It's like, it's like the whole idea of learning. You know, learning an instrument, learning notes and and going through that process. And then also just the experience with other people, Uh right? Which is something I think in the pandemic we're sort of losing out on is the experience of being with other people in creativity.
0: Well, I was like in middle school in the 90s, middle school and high school in the 90s. And I don't know if it's I don't know if it started with my generation. But I think
1: you were right on the cusp of it, actually.
0: Yeah, because there was this reoccurring theme of picking a major that will get you a job. I suffered from this this rhetoric for years afterwards. Like, mm. it was just like, even after I graduated university, there was like, oh, you can still kind of like pick something, mm-hmm. um, you know, these jobs that you can get. And then like web designer was a big one. Yeah, right. Web designing, coding and all that. And a bunch of us went into these fields without wanting to do it or having any talent in it whatsoever, Mm. because they were supposed to get us these jobs that will guarantee us income. And guess what? It (laughs) did (laughs) it.
1: Right. Was this when you were in in college? Yeah. So in Korea. yeah.
0: Yeah. But even in America, there was this idea of like, get into, if you become an actuary scientist, you will always have a job. That's not true anymore. Right, true. And so now I don't know what the fuck we're doing.
1: I don't know. What would you tell the kids today to study? I mean, for me, it would be study what you like doing. Mm -hmm. For my part, if you learn how to tell a story, you're going to be able to get jobs Mm -hmm. in anything. It's always kind of bothered me a little that Korean students very frequently will study English. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, you're studying English, Mm -hmm. but what, what what are you contributing? It just seems like that's kind of a... I don't know. That seems to me very formulaic. Maybe not. Maybe that's something where it will get you into kind of like studying storytelling. It will get you into other areas and it will be applied to other areas.
0: Well, I've been telling young people one thing and one thing only. And I will stand by this until I die. Don't listen to your parents. Don't listen to us. We don't know anything about anything. Yeah. And we will most likely be wrong about everything because it's your it's their future it's their life Mm -hmm. and they will have to live it
1: right it's true
0: they they're gonna have to build the world that they live in. They will make the decisions that will shape their own futures and we will not be part of it. And we need to
1: We won't even know. We, we won't, won't know. even know
0: what the hell is going on.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a weird disconnect. So to bring it back mm-hmm. to the film, it I think, you know, one of the things that happens is he comes around to rock and roll, right? Mm-hmm. So he comes around to understanding what these kids are going through. And that's probably an important lesson too for educators, I think.
0: Yeah, and I would say don't listen to us except for things that are universal, you know, age old wisdom that you can only yeah. have when you're older. Those mm-hmm. things, I think it's worth getting advice from your teachers and your parents. Yeah. When it comes to what you're going to do with your life and what your career is going to be and what you're going to learn and what you should be focusing on, that is, I think, entirely up to the mm-hmm. child or the student, I think.
1: I think so too. Yeah. It's, it's hard because they get a lot of pressure from parents and parents are telling them to go into this field and this field. I was just talking to a student the other, the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, Who's in Australia? Mm-hmm. I taught her in China, and her parents kind of forced her into this major, and she didn't want to do it. She was interested in filmmaking, and sure enough, she goes through the major, she finishes, and now she wants to go to grad school back in the thing that she originally loved mm-hmm. that her parents talked her out of. Eventually, they're gonna, you know, kids are gonna find their own way. I think.
0: Well, a lot of these kids who are micromanaged by their parents end up wasting a lot of money and a lot of time. Mm, myself true. included, <laughs> and uh, I didn't waste too much time or money, but. It could have been a lot worse. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't push back, they end up not doing anything. You got to let your kids... I mean, I don't have kids, so I guess it could sound cavalier that I say this, but you got to let your kids live
1: <laughs> yeah you got to let them live you got to let them have experiences I agree with you totally
0: if they if they feel like oh they you know they want they feel like bartending somewhere mm-hmm. that is a very valuable experience right yeah. working in retail is the best education that I had
1: ever had mm-hmm. in my life I think to be fair it's not just parents is it it's sort of like the whole super ego structure that tells you yeah. you should do this and you internalize that mm-hmm. that's what education is supposed to be is it's supposed to break you out of those mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. restrictive expectations and so that you learn new things Mm -hmm. so on our next show Mm -hmm. i think we're going to change gears a little bit and we are going to watch the movie hustle and flow right which is a movie about music yes which is what we do
0: i've never seen that movie i've
1: never seen it either yeah this will be cool it'll go back to like sound of metal you know a movie that neither of us have seen before so that'll be fun so if you want to watch hustle and flow before our next podcast then please do please do yes and please leave us a
0: positive review yes
1: leave us a review that would be wonderful
0: not just a review a positive a
1: positive review yes please a positive review (laughs) (laughs) all right Cece. we'll see you all next time Bye bye
0: Under the moonlight I'll sing you a song So you'd magically feel a lot less alone Hopefully they'll live eternally If we paint ourselves all bright with stories Of heroes and poets and sadness and war. Of immeasurable pain, unconditional love Movies about music.